0: Hello, and welcome to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles, Missouri. It is our hope that the following message will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For more teachings, please visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com. Exodus 33, 15. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. And in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I i don't know if you've noticed, uh, I've been praying after I read the Scripture each week. And uh, recently I've found this very old book that was written in the 1700s called the uh, Com- Book of Common Prayer. And it has some fantastic prayers. And so I've been adapting some of those for our time. And so as we come to read God's Scripture... and and reflect on that, let let me say a prayer. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Unless. We've all heard this word, right? Unless. What does it make you think of? Um, How many children, or how many times when you were a child, did you hear your parents say, you can't go wherever it is that you want to go, or do whatever it is that you want to do, unless... You clean your room, all right? we got a confession here this morning. Anybody else? How else did your parents fill in that blank? Unless you do all your chores. Unless you finish your plate, right? You eat all your dinner. Or maybe um, you've heard people talking and they say, I won't help you with your thing unless you help me with my thing first. What about when you're looking for a job or somebody else is looking for a job? And they say something like, well, I'm not going to take that job unless they pay me enough money or unless they provide health care or unless they give me a corner office. And I can't tell you how many times when I was a youth pastor that I told teen boys that she will never go on a date with you unless you take a shower. (laughs) You all must work with teenage boys. You You know what I'm talking about. This idea of unless it's everywhere and it influences our behavior more than we think. One of my friends in college would tell me about some of the crazy things that he was thinking about doing and I would often say to him, I wouldn't do that unless you want to get hurt, unless you want to get in trouble, unless you want to get stuck under there, unless you want a broken leg and unless you want to get slapped. I've been to industrial buildings and construction sites and there's signs as you enter those places and they read, do not enter unless you're wearing a hard hat. Or maybe you've noticed signs when you're riding on the back roads, people have hung on their fences and and gate posts, no trespassing unless you want to get shot. I've heard people say, well, I'll, I'll go to that event or I'll come over to your house unless... And what they really mean whenever they say unless is unless something else better comes up that I want to do rather than hang out with you, right? Or since we're in Missouri, I won't believe you unless you show me, right? This concept of unless, it's a powerful concept. It starts actions. It stops actions. It causes us to think more clearly about what it is that we're getting ready to do. Unless gives us purpose. As I reflected back on the year, I was reminded about the challenge that God gave us a year ago. This very Sunday, one year ago, I preached a sermon titled, Focus on the Mission, in which I called all of us to make sure that we were not distracted, but instead to make sure that we were focused on doing the things that God wanted us to do. And when I was preaching that sermon, I had no idea how distracting 2020 would actually become COVID-19, stock market plunge, stock market record highs, two-week quarantines, face masks, shutdowns, elections, toilet paper shortages, cancelling events, sickness, death. And that's just scratching the surface. I was reminded of something that Paul wrote to Timothy in second Timothy chapter two, verse nine, he said, I'm bound in chains with the gospel. The gospel's not bound. And I was thinking, you know, Paul said that because he was enduring being imprisoned. And he said he could endure anything. He could endure anything because he knew that the gospel was free, that it was working and it was changing people's lives, even though he was stuck and trapped in prison. And I wanted that to be where my heart was this last year. God challenged me. I think He challenged us as a church at the end of last year to put the Great Commission first in our lives and to put the Great Commission first in our church. And while I'm, I'm sure that as many of you feel, I know I didn't do as much as I hoped to, but I did begin to invest my time in some men and discipling them Because that's what the Great Commission calls us to do make disciples. COVID had us locked up, but it didn't have the gospel locked up. God still has a mission for his church. There's still lost people in our community, there's still lost people around the world. There's lost people right next door to you. There are people who are literally dying that do not know Jesus right now. And if ever there was a time for us to share the Gospel, to take the Gospel to our world, now is the time. Now's the time. But it won't go unless we take it. I've had several conversations about when will things get back to normal, Chris? When do you think they're going to get back to normal? And I'll just, I'll just be flat honest with you. I don't know. I don't know when things are going to be normal. I jokingly said this week to some friends, the only thing that's normal in my life, I think I may have heard it from somebody else too, the only thing that's normal in my life is the setting on my washing machine. Everything else has not been normal. And I don't know the answer to that question, when will things be normal again? And we were all kind of just holding our breath, waiting and watching to see Are things going to get better? Are things going to go back like they were before? And as I've thought and prepared for this message over the last few weeks, I think I've come to grips with the fact that things may never go back to what we thought were normal. The things that we have always done and the way that we have always done them, they might return, but they might not. And this means that we have to look for new and creative ways to reach people in our new environment for the gospel. Because if we wait until things go back to normal, like they were, then we'll have squandered all of that time and all of those resources that God has given us in order to reach the lost in our community. Now, what does all of this have to do with unless? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I want to take a look at these two passages this morning. The first from Exodus 33 and the second from John 6. Because each of these passages, while they start in different places, they point to the same theme. That unless God is involved, it's not worth doing. It's not worth going. Unless gives us purpose, unless calls us to make a difference unless calls us to lean into the presence and the power of God. So let's first take a look at our Exodus passage. I want to set the scene for the chapter. I'm going to start way back in chapter 19. You don't have to follow along necessarily in your Bible unless you want to. Actually, in chapter 12. Because what happens is the Israelites have been serving as slaves in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years in slavery in Egypt. That means that no one alive at that time had known anything other than being slaves in Egypt. That's the only life they knew. Their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. All slaves. And that's the, the stories that were passed down during that time, that, those were the only stories. There were ones about being enslaved in In Egypt, And then God sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. The Egyptians endured ten plagues before Pharaoh finally let them leave. And when they made it to Mount Sinai, they wander out into the wilderness to the place where God told them to go. And when they make it to Mount Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments, the terms and conditions of the covenant that he was going to make with them. He said now in chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, If you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. And then in chapter 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And then from 20 to 31, chapter 31, he gives them additional laws to obey about how to make sacrifices and how to live and and how they're supposed to behave themselves when they get into the Holy Land. And it says in chapter 31, verse 18, that God wrote them on tablets with His own finger. And while Moses was up on top of the mountain, on top of Mount Sinai, receiving the commands of God, the people stayed down below. God had told them, don't let them touch the mountain, they'll die. And then Moses goes up the mountain and these clouds and lightning and, and all this noise was on top of the mountain. And after a certain period of time, the people said, something's happened to Moses. We don't know. He's been up there for a really long time and it looks really bad up there. So Aaron, Aaron, you're, you're related to Moses. Make us a god so that we can worship him. And so they brought all of their gold to Aaron. And Aaron made them a god. A god a golden calf. Obviously, God is up on top of the mountain hanging with Moses, but God isn't just in one place. God is always present all the time. So He knows what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain. And so God says to Moses, I imagine this is the Chris Bass translation part of it, I'm not happy. (laughs) He told Moses that He wanted to destroy them. For their idolatry. But Moses prayed to God on their behalf and they were spared. They were spared from the wrath of God. But then Moses comes down the mountain and he sees what happens with his own eyes. And he, he didn't realize how bad it was. And he got angry, righteous anger. And so he threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain, he took the golden calf that they had made and he burnt it and ground it down into a powder, scattered it over some water, and then forced them to drink the water. And then he turned to Aaron. And he said, Aaron, what do these people do to you that you have led them into such grave sin? Did they, were they holding you at sword point? Because they didn't have guns back then, you know. Were they holding you at sword point? Did they threaten your wife or your children? Did they say we're going to burn down all of your things? What was it that you did? And, and Aaron blames the people. Chapter 32, verse 24. Aaron tells Moses that, oh, I just, they just all brought me their gold and I just threw it in the fire. And then the calf, just he just walked right out. Skipped right out of the fire. Sure, Aaron. I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly how it happened. Yeah. But what we learn is that because of their idolatrous worship, 3,000 men were killed that day. And then Moses goes back up to the top of the mountain the next day to see if God will forgive them for what they've done because he realizes how terrible and sinful their actions were and how they deserve to be just completely destroyed. And he goes, God, will you forgive us of this grave sin? And God tells Moses that he was only going to punish those who had worshipped the calf. And they had disease sent on them. And then God told Moses... He said, all right, get the people together, uh, go up to the promised land. You see, up to this point, God had been leading the people during the day. It was with a cloud during the night. It was with a pillar of fire and he would go with them and he would lead them. He was in their presence. But in chapter 33, verse two, God tells Moses that he will no longer go with them. He says, I'm no longer going to go with you. Instead, he's going to send some unnamed angel along. He says, I'll send, I'll send an angel with you, you know. Because here's what it says in verse 5. Chapter 33, verse 5. Tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I went up with you, even for a single moment, I would destroy you. He forgave them. He was going to let them have the promised land. He was going to send an angel with them. But he's like, if I go, it is not going to end well for you. Well, when the Israelites would set up their camp, Moses would set up a tent that was outside of that camp some distance away from the camp. And then and he called it the tent of meeting. Now, I want you to follow along as I read verses 8 through 11 in in Exodus chapter 33 verses 8 through 11. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up. This is at the tent of meeting. He's headed out to the tent of meeting. And they would each watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his own tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friends. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. So we have, this is fascinating to me, by the way, we have Moses that set up this tent outside, and and when everybody saw that Moses was starting to head toward the tent, everybody got up, and they assembled themselves at the front of their own tents, and they all stood there at attention, kind of like we do when the American flag is moving. And they're like, He's going to the tent. He's, go, he's going to go to the t- He's going to go, and they're all stand there watching him. And he gets in the tent, and the cloud comes down. They know that God's presence is there, and it says that he talked with God face to face. And they said that when the cloud remained there, not only did they continue to stand, they bowed down in worship to the one true God. It's an incredible scene, an incredible scene, and that's how, that's where Moses went. He went to the presence and to the face of God. So he knew when and where to move the people. And he did this because he was close with God. Notice too that Moses would speak with God says face to face. Do you have time in your day that you spend face to face with God? Is there time in your day that you spend face to face with God? There's an old... Uh, an old quote, I, I can't tell you who, who said it, but it said something to the effect of, we shouldn't see the face of another man each day until we've seen the face of God. Seek God first. Moses was able to get the direction from God that he needed. He was able to get the wisdom from God that he needed because he spent lots and lots of time with God face to face. He knew him as closely as friends know one another. He knew God personally. Moses had experienced the personal presence of God, and it changed him. It changed him. In fact, uh, it doesn't tell us here, but he had to put a veil over his face because the glory of the Lord shone from his face, and it, it freaked everybody out. His face was bright and shiny, and they're like, that's weird. <laughs> so he'd hide it from them. But they could tell that he'd been with God because his, his, even his countenance was changed. It put his life into a totally different perspective. Do you have that kind of time with God? Do you spend that time, kind of time with God each day? If not, I would encourage you to start immediately. Now let's move down a couple of verses in the story to verse 15 and 16. Verse 15. Remember, God said, I'm not going. He says, Moses says, If your presence does not go... Moses responded to him, Don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this, that is his presence, from all the other people on the face of the earth. You see, God was still going to give the Israelites the promised land. They were still going to get it. He told them, this is your land. So he was still going to follow through on his promises because God doesn't break his promise. But he said, I'm not going with you anymore. And then Moses says, well, we don't want to go unless you go with us. Unless you go with us, God, we don't want to go. He had firsthand experience that when God wasn't involved, that things that they were trying to do did not go very well for them and since they were totally dependent on God for everything, and the presence of God was going to be absolutely necessary for them if they wanted to move forward, he said, we're going nowhere if you're not going with us. Wherever you are, that's where we're staying. And if you're not going, we're not going. Now, it's interesting, at least to me, that in verse 15, there's a, the Hebrew word for the word presence. It's the same as the word for face in verse 11 Moses spoke to God face to face and in verse 15 he says if your presence if your face doesn't go and i think that Moses is doing a little bit of word play he was saying god unless your face goes with us that same kind of face to face experience of your presence that same clear direction that same clear wisdom that i have with you in the tent if it's not face-to-face, we don't want to go. Don't send us away from you. That's what he says. Because God was like, go ahead and go. I'm not, I'm not going to go, but you go. And Moses says, no. Moses was desperate for the presence of God. And this insight from Moses' life is so important for us today, not only personally, but as a church. That insight is that God's presence is makes all the difference. God's presence makes all the difference. But the question is, is that how we live our lives? Do we live our lives like God's presence makes all the difference? Are we like Moses? Do we come to our decisions based on unless God is going with us, that we won't go somewhere? That was Moses' position God, I need, your face. I need that face-to-face. If I don't have it, I'm not going anywhere where that face-to-face isn't. I think that we should use this process more often for decisions that we make. That unless God is going, then we don't go. That we follow God or stay with God wherever it is that He happens to be. One of my greatest fears as a pastor as I look across Christianity in our nation is that we've been doing church, call it doing church, for so long that we've built enough programs that are somewhat successful in the church. And we've seen them done. And we've done them so we know the things to do. We know how to check off the list to get them done. And that we've seen how to organize successful events. And we could probably organize a very successful event. But my fear is that we just might be able to do all of this without the presence of God being involved at all. That terrifies me. That that absolutely terrifies me. But I think that there are some churches out there that are doing just that. They have people who are just talented enough. They have people who are just smart enough. They have people who are just connected enough and they know the right steps and they know how to organize and they know how to plan just enough to make something look successful, but God's presence has left them years ago. And they're just carrying on doing the same things that worked five years ago when God was actually there working in them. That's my greatest fear as a pastor. That we would be unaware that God is no longer with us, but we just keep going. Moses said, I don't want to go if your presence isn't there. Unless you're with us. Unless you're with us, we're not moving an inch. And we have these churches that are they seem like they're growing and they seem like they're being successful and they're baptizing and they're reaching and they're giving and they're meeting needs and and then we see on television their pastors fall because they don't need the presence of God in their life anymore they don't need his help they know how to do it all on their own i i've got enough degrees i've read enough books i've sat in enough classes i've been to enough conferences That I could probably coast and I could probably skate. And all of us probably could too. We've been in church long enough, most of us here. And we could be just like those other churches. But what we really need to do is be over here singing, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. That's what we need. Every, I, I don't need Him every hour. I need Him every second. If I'm a second away from God, that's a second that, that I could be attacked, that I could divert and go the wrong direction. I need that connection to Him. Our church needs that kind of connection to Him. And I want to call us as a church, as individuals and as a church, to say we are not moving forward without the presence and the power of God. The greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day, this is is from um, David Platt, he says the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel in our day is the church of God trying to accomplish the work of God apart from the power and presence of God. He's absolutely right. And you know what? We might might be able to do it for a while. We might be able to get away with it for a little while. But eventually it will show up. Because the kingdom of God bears fruit. New believers and old believers alike should be bearing fruit. And if no fruit is being born, then we know that there's something off. Our second passage, John 6, 68. And as you're turning in your Bibles to that passage, let me tell you what's happening leading up to this point. Jesus has fed the 5,000, more like 20,000 probably with men and women and children. He walks on water to the other side of the sea and the crowd, when the disciples left, they saw where the boat was headed. And so when the disciples left and Jesus left, the next day they go... Hey, we know where they went. Let's go try and find them again. Because they wanted another sign. Well, really, they wanted another lunch, you know, because Jesus had multiplied the fishes and the loaves. And they're like, yeah, we're a little hungry still. And here's what they said. they said. When they found Jesus, they said, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as, just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. He's talking about during the Exodus, right? That's what we were reading about during the Exodus, where God, we didn't read this part specifically because it's brought up in this section, but when they were out of food, God literally fed them from heaven. He gave them bread from heaven. He rained down down birds from heaven so that they could have some protein. They were thirsty. They didn't have water. And Moses went up and talked to a rock and said, Hey, rock, can we get some water? And the rock said, Sure. And the No, God did that, obviously, not Moses. And God fed them from the sky, not Moses. And God gave them meat from the sky and not Moses. Moses was God's instrument. It was his his, uh, mouthpiece. But God was the one that did all of that. And then Jesus said to them in chapter 6, verse 32, "'Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, "'but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven.'" for the bread of god is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus said, uh, then they said, sorry, sir, give us this bread. Verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And then Jesus said, truly in verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give will the bread that I the bread that I will give from the life of the world is my flesh. All right? Jesus is reminding them About how God provided for them in the Exodus, how God took care of them, how His presence with them made all the difference in the world. And now Jesus is saying, I'm that bread. I am God in the flesh, and my presence in your life will also make all the difference. He says, You have to eat the bread and drink the water. He says, I'm that. And then He makes it super clear. They argued because they were arguing about what it meant that Jesus said that He was the bread, that the bread was His flesh and that they needed to eat it. And so Jesus like, fine, I'll make it super clear. And He continued in verse 54, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is talking about how He gives eternal life through His sacrifice of His body and blood on the cross. And this is a hard teaching of Jesus. And the people didn't really like it at all because in verse 66 it says, From that moment many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. And verse 67, so Jesus, he turned to the twelve. All these other people had been following that large crowd that he had fed. They came and they flocked around. They wanted more food. And Jesus says, I can feed you again, but what you really need is eternal life. You need to eat. You need to take me into your life. That's the need that that you really have, that deep down soul need. That's what you're really hungry for. And I can meet that need. A, they didn't like that. They, they thought he was actually talking about like cannibalism or something. Who knows? But they're like, yeah, that's weird. We don't want to have anything to do with this. So they all start leaving. So Jesus turns to 12. He says, aren't you going to leave too? Aren't you going to go away too? And Simon Peter in verse 68. Simon Peter says a lot of really dumb stuff. But he also says a lot of really great stuff. And here's one where he gets really, it really good. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where would we go, Jesus? To whom would we go? You have the words of life. Not just the words of life that are like just words of encouragement. He says you have the words of eternal life. They knew that nowhere else that they went would give them eternal life. It was only through Jesus. And if they were to leave Jesus, there was no guarantee. There was nowhere else that they could go. No one else to whom they could go who had that kind of message. And the, and, and the truth about Christianity isn't just words. It isn't just the message, but it's also the person of Jesus Christ. Where else would they go? Who else could they go to? Where else can we go? Who else can we go to? You know, there's a lot of people in our world who are trying to go to a lot of different places and they're trying to go to a lot of different teachings of different people in order to find the answer to the question about eternal life. And the problem that they have is, and they don't even realize they have a problem, is that Jesus is the only one that has the answer to eternal life. It's only found in Jesus Christ And they're looking everywhere. High and low. Far and wide. Some even making up their own things. And they're missing it. Where can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Peter's saying that unless they stay with Christ, they will be lost. They won't know where to go. They won't know what to do. They won't have direction. They won't have purpose. They won't have anything. They won't make a difference. But even more importantly, they won't have eternal life. Where would we go? You have the words. Not just the words to guide, but the words of eternal life that give purpose and meaning to us. Isn't that what Moses was saying? We don't want to go unless You go with us, God. And Peter... Where would we go? We don't want to go unless you go. And Peter says, where else would we go? It's the same thing. It's coming at it from two different angles. And us too, we can't and won't and shouldn't go anywhere because life is only found in Jesus Christ. You know, this is all about God in us. Christ in us and then us in them. We can do nothing that is worthwhile in this life and in this world without God being involved. Every I read through church history and every single revival that has taken place has begun when people began to seek the face of God. When they took His presence in their life seriously. And that's why we spend That's why prayer is so important. That's why we spend most of our time on Wednesday nights praying together. Because when we come together in prayer, we're saying, God, lead us. God, guide us. God, we're not creative enough. We don't have enough connections in this world. We don't have enough cleverness. The only way that we're going to accomplish anything is by the power and by the presence of God of your Holy Spirit in our life. And so we pray. We gather together as a group of saints and we pray those kinds of prayers because it puts our hearts where they need to be. And it humbles us and reminds us who's really at work. And it gives us a chance to call out to God for help. Now, I'm not big on the saints that are out there in some other denominations, but I did read a prayer from a guy named St. Patrick, and I think it's appropriate here. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. Christ in me. He's our everything, isn't he? Is that how you see it in your life? Is Christ your everything? Are you completely and totally, unconditionally giving everything to Christ? That apart from His presence in your life, you won't move. You don't want to leave His presence because where else could you go to have eternal life? And you know that if you did try it on your own, you would be utterly failing. Are you to that point yet in your life? Are you living in total dependence on God? My, my prayer this morning for this coming year is that we would be people who are desperate for God. Desperate for His presence in everything. And that we would realize, like Moses, to try and even take one step forward from the, apart from the power and presence of God would be a total and utter disaster. I pray, my prayer is that God would raise up men and women, boys and girls in our church who would be desperate for the presence of God in their life. That they wouldn't try and produce some kind of false Christian persona on their own power, but that they would be humbly consumed seeking God's presence, consumed by his words of life. That God would truly be our everything. And that we would not even attempt anything, especially those things of eternal significance, without the power and presence of God. I believe that God wants to do a work of revival. I believe that He wants to do a work of redemption in this coming year. There are so many people who are lost. There are so many people who are hurting in our community, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our acquaintances. They need the message of hope that are found only in the eternal life-giving words of Jesus Christ. They need to realize that the reason that their lives feel so empty is because they are living apart from the presence of God. And no matter what they do to try and fill that void, nothing will work. We need to let them know that their sins can be forgiven and their slate be wiped clean and their life be made new. The mission of our church is the same. It remains the same day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. Make disciples. Make disciples. We do that by sharing the gospel. People hear and they believe and then we teach them to obey. Make disciples. That's our same mission. And God is still leading us to follow Him where He's working. So let's not turn back. God's working and He's going to be working in this coming year. And He's going to be leading us and moving us. And we've got to make sure that we go with Him wherever He leads Wherever he is. And if he stops, we need to stop. If he's not going down a path, we need to not go down that path either. Even if it's a real... I got, I got a notebook. It's filled with really, really good ideas. Really good ones. And they'd bring a crowd. And people would get saved. And we'd think, oh, that was awesome. But they're my ideas. And we could probably pull them off without God. And if God isn't leading us to do them, I don't want to do them. But if God is putting on my heart, or if God is putting on your heart, a ministry or a mission opportunity for us to do as a, as a body of Christ, let's get together and get involved and engaged. Let's go where God is leading us to go because where else should we go? Where else can we go? Nowhere else. We need to stay with God. When we're with God, we have purpose. When we're with God, we can make a difference. Unless, unless we ignore him. Don't ignore him today. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles. We would love it if you joined us in person. Our services are Sunday at 1045 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We are located at 211 East Jasper Street in Versailles, Missouri. For more sermon recordings, visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com.